Hello, Energy Radio podcast listeners. Before we get to the next episode, I would like to ask a quick favor from all of you. If you're getting value out of the podcast we are providing, we would love it if you could provide a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you are streaming on. This would help us a great deal. Also, if you could provide us feedback, comments, or ideas, email to matt at cemeng.ca. That would be fantastic. Enjoy the next episode. Welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 80, and today I'm joined with by not one, but two guests. Uh, we're going to have a great conversation about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, uh, my first love in my professional career, biogas and now renewable natural gas and its place in the Canadian framework as part of Canada's clean fuel regulation. And I'm flying solo as a host today. My co-host, Lisa Katz, is coming back from vacation and busy catching up on her day job. So I will fly solo, but I'm joined by two great guests. I'm joined by Sarah Stadnick of the Canadian Biogas Association and Vincent Morales of the uh, RNG Coalition. Uh, welcome to both of you to Energy Radio. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Happy to be here. First time podcast for both of you or have done it before or? First time for me. First time for me too. I did Excellent. radio in French, but never podcast. Okay. Okay, cool. Live radio? Yeah, live radio with Radio Canada when I was uh, living in Calgary. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I don't think we have quite the listenership of Radio Canada, um, and this will be only in English, but uh, um excited for you to be here nonetheless. So, Sarah, we'll start with you. Would love to hear for our listeners a bit of your background and what brings you to the space. Uh, and then a bit of background of your organization, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So just to start with the Canadian Biogas Association, I'm the manager of business development and communications. And I've been with the association about six years now. But I really got started and grew my interest in the waste to resource sector when I got my first job out of university. I had a, I have a degree in biochemistry from the University of Waterloo, and I started working with Plasco Energy Group here in Ottawa, which no was converting. Yeah, are you familiar okay. with that? Yeah, well, yeah, I think many people are, um, sometimes yeah. not for the best reasons. My closest proximity, I went there when they were trying to sell the used uh, engines uh, on behalf of a client who was thinking about buying those old Yenbacher engines off the site there. But uh, uh, so so that's my kind of back end familiarity with it. But you were there maybe in the early days. Well, I, yeah, so I worked at the demonstration plant on Trail Road, which maybe yes. is where you were getting the engines from. Um, so I worked um, in the lab there for a few years and it was a really great experience. And that's where I really got, you know, the interest in waste to resource and, and you know, getting the value out of waste. So um, after working there, I wanted to just explore the space a little bit more. So I worked in different um, different contracts for private companies and for the government just to really, you know, gain my skill set. Um, and then I came across the CBA and there was just a lot of similarities with what the CBA was doing and what I'm interested in. And I started working with them, like I said, about six years ago. Um, and I really enjoyed it so far. It's uh, a really dynamic organization. Uh, the Canadian Biogas Association is a member-based association that's mission is to uh, grow the biogas sector in Canada to its fullest potential. 
So we serve our members by uh, doing advocacy and providing input on policy, you know, like the like the CFR. We've been consulting on that, you know, through the whole development process. Uh, we also do a lot of research and projects to really, you know, increase the capacity of the sector and grow education about biogas and RNG. And we also really strive to create a strong network for our members through events and, and just through other ways to connect members and and build that community. Uh, so, so yeah, that's a little bit of background about me and what the Canadian Biogas Association does. Awesome. And and we, we want the show always to be um, you know educational, but you know, I'm I'm all for shameless plugs. And certainly both organizations our listeners should become members uh, of and um, you know I've 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 gone way back with the Biogas Association um back to when it was uh, i think it was the apao uh or or some some strange acronym and then uh and then jen green who you have the pleasure of working with who i've known for many many years uh, had the vision of taking it canada wide and here you are you're having you know two major conferences a year uh and and at the table with all of this uh, legislation so you know kudos to you and to jen and the rest of the organization and for those who are in the biogas space in canada and are not yet members uh, of the Canadian Biogas Association or the RNG Coalition, uh, press pause on the podcast and go fix that and then come back and listen to the rest. So, uh, yes, awesome. thank you, Matt. Thanks for that third party endorsement. I appreciate that. <laughs> the, the conferences are excellent. I know you have your big uh, fall uh, West Canada West, no, Biogas West conference coming up. Uh, when is it, Sarah? Yeah, so it's uh, November 1st and 2nd in Vancouver, and we actually had our East Conference in Toronto, and it was the biggest one we've ever had. The, the interest in the space is incredible, and we're already seeing the registration numbers on the West just go up so fast. We might actually hit capacity, so I would okay. say if someone's interested in coming to register now <laughs> to make sure that you can get a spot. Nothing like a little scarcity to drive marketing. That's great. Um, well, that's perfect. So going from a, an organization who is having a conference to an organization who just finished one of their conferences, uh, Vincent, tell us about yourself uh, and your background and your role with uh, the RNG Coalition and then tell us about the organization. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, uh, so I'm Vincent Morales. I'm a manager of legislative and regulatory affairs with the Coalition for Renewable Natural Gas or RNG Coalition. Um, before joining the coalition just over a year ago, um, I was an energy policy analyst with the Pembina Institute, uh, one of Canada's leading climate and energy think tanks. And uh, during my time in Calgary, uh, over those three years, I um, looked at a lot of different policy issues, worked on uh, the Canadian coal phase out, carbon pricing, uh, corporate procurement of renewable electricity. Um, and so uh, I get to get deeper on a variety of climate policies and then joining the RNG coalition now uh, I'm part of the policy team and get to um, advocate on behalf of the industry. Um, the RNG Coalition is the North American Industry Association for Biomethane or RNG. And um, we advocate and educate for sustainable development and deployment and the use eventually of that RNG so that present and future generations have access to domestic renewable energy. 
Um, and uh, so our work, yes, is advocacy, education. We have over 350 members right now. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, we just had a, a RNG Works in Nashville. That was our biggest event yet. We had over a thousand attendees, um, almost double the attendance from last year. And um, as well, we have a conference lined up in uh, December in Orange County, California, and uh, we'll, we are expecting to reach capacity as well. So, uh, yeah, that's exciting. The, we, the, that growth is, is in the RNG space. Is, uh, you can see it even from attendance numbers to the Canadian Bag Association's events and our events. So it's great to see. Yeah, no, it's and, and it's a it's a credit to the work that both your organizations and your members, you know, have 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 done. And and for those who, you know, you're coming back to the podcast, you've got your CBA membership lined up, you've got your RNG coalition membership lined up. Uh, if you're looking, if you're in Canada and you're thinking about how cold it's going to be in December, uh, the conference that Vincent mentioned in Orange County, California, uh, is a good way to escape the cold. Um, I. I won't go this year, Vincent. I haven't gotten the sign off from um, the powers that be at home because I was the week before Christmas, I was in uh, sunny California. So that was strike one. Strike two was I came home with COVID uh, last time and I spent Christmas in bed in my bedroom because back then we were still isolating for a long time. So uh, I did not get royal assent to come this year, um, but uh, but we had a bunch of guys at, at, at our event, at your event uh, last week and uh, love what you guys do and, and would encourage many, many people to uh, to check out both conferences. They're both educational and, and also I think uh, you know, it's encouraging, right? We're still, it's a lot of work to develop biogas projects and to, you know, develop in an industry like this. So we need, you know, the CBA events, we need the RNG events to really uh, kind of encourage each other as well. So um, awesome. Appreciate the context. Let's jump into the topic of today. And before we do, uh, I want, you know, full disclaimer to both of you and to the listeners. At the end of the day, the podcast is purely selfish. It's about how can I learn from very smart people. So the next, you know, 30, 40 minutes are going to be how can I learn from two very smart people um, about the clean fuel regulation, right? It used to be called something else. Let's start there. Um, Sarah, maybe I'll start with you on kind of the history and how did we get to this point? And um, let's start with it used to be called the clean fuel standard and now it's called the clean fuel regulation. That is right, and um, I will definitely leave this open for Vincent to correct me afterwards if I if uh, I need that. But I did I so I dug back in my files because it feels like we've just been working on this clean fuel standard regulation forever. Um, so I went way way back, and it was in November 2016 that the government of Canada announced um, that it was going to move beyond renewable fuel mandates and develop the clean fuel standard. And at the time, the objective of the standard was to achieve annual reductions of 30 megatons by 2030. Um, so they began that development and it was supposed to include liquid fuels, solid fuels and gaseous fuels and to reduce the life cycle carbon intensity of those fuels. Um, but over the years, you know, it evolved. And one, one date that I might need correction on is when they decided to narrow the scope and only focus on liquid fuels. And I believe it was December 2020, but I, Vincent, are you nodding? Yes. Okay, so it was, it was December 2020. 
um, and that narrowed the scope. And now if you look at the clean fuel regulations, um, it will be delivering less reductions. They're anticipating 26 uh, megatons of GHG emissions reductions by 2030. So it is less there. And the um, the final regulations were published in Canada Gazette 2 on July 6th of this year. So that is a little bit of background on the timeline. I would definitely leave it open to Vincent if you want to add anything about how it transitioned from the standard to the regulation. Yeah, uh, thanks. And uh, I was I noted down the same figures as you were preparing for the show. <laughs> the uh, I'd like to add that um, as uh, that uh, the clean fuel standard was um, in a way um, reduced its scope from encompassing all fuels to just uh, liquid fuels uh, when they first published the draft regulations in December 2020. Um, since then, they also um, reduced the scope of liquid fuels to transportation liquid fuels only. Uh, so uh, it became it came. It started to be an economy-wide uh, emissions reduction policy to now a transportation emissions reductions policy. And as Sarah mentioned, initially the modeling was um, uh, expecting a 30 megatons of emissions reductions in Canada. For context, uh, Canada's emissions in 2020 were 672 megatons. Um, and uh, there's a goal of reducing emissions by 40% uh, uh, by 2030, at least 40% uh, be, uh, below uh, 2005 levels. At the time in November 2016, when the clean fuel standard was announced, the goal target Canada's target was 30% uh, emissions reduction. So unfortunately, Canada uh, uh, reduced the power of that clean fuel regulations while at the same time increasing the ambition of its national target um, uh, with yeah uh, smaller emissions reductions expected. Nonetheless, it's still a massive program that will achieve that um, the federal government definitely relies on to achieve its target, to get a chance of achieving its uh, national commitments. And do we have a sense, because uh, I remember that December 2020, and I, I believe I even chatted with Jen at the time, and, and you know, there was obvious you know, disappointment slash frustration of, of the change. Do we know, you know, or do we, do we have a theory or uh, have we struck, you know, um, struck upon some gossip of, you know, why, why did the scope get kind of reduced from all fuels to, as Vincent says, transportation only? Um, and, and maybe there's not a working theory. Maybe it's just politics. I don't know. But do we have a sense of, of was it a bridge too far? Like, why change the scope? I think there's definitely some politics involved in there. I'm, I don't have the full picture, but um, one important element of context is that um, at that time, December 2020, Canada also released uh, an updated climate plan. Uh, and in that updated climate plan, the federal government committed to um, a very strong uh, carbon price by 2030, increasing the carbon tax and the carbon pricing uh, and the price on carbon on industrial emitters up to uh, 170 Canadian dollars per ton of CO2 equivalent by 2030. So that's 
um, a headline a policy that takes a, a decent amount of political courage and so uh, you could speculate that uh, that headline uh, policy meant that other policies had to give away some of their uh, stringency. So maybe Sarah, this question's to you. Like what? So so it's we've talked about how the scope was narrowed from all fuels to liquid fuels and liquid fuels uh, on transportation itself. So what? Talk to us a bit about. How does that actually work? So we know the scope is, but what, what's it actually doing? Where where does the rubber meet the road in terms of how the clean fuel regulation uh, works? Not specific to biogas yet, but in just in terms of how does it work yeah. as a regulation? Yeah, so how it works is that the um, regulated parties are the fossil fuel primary suppliers, and they have to reduce the CI of the gasoline and diesel that they produce or import into Canada. And in the okay, regulations, so let's, let's let's pause right there. So let's pretend I'm a my son is in fifth grade. So let's 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 parcel this apart as if I'm a fifth grader. So you said it's regulated at the primary fuel suppliers. Is that the phrase you like? What does that mean? Is that I, I think if I drive my car, I go to the SO station and I like where in that value chain does that primary fuel supplier um, where where are they in that value chain? Yeah, so my understanding, the fossil fuel primary suppliers are the refiners, the importers, so the ones that are supplying the um, the gas. I I don't now. This is where maybe some clarification would be needed, but I don't know if it would, you know, you know, at the gas pump, if that would be regular, like that fuel would need to be reduced. But I'm not sure. Um, how the regulation works in that sense and and then upstream of that where they're actually pulling it out like is is it to me they're pulling it out of the ground they're moving it then they're refining it and they're like is it at the point of refining where uh, or is it i guess maybe maybe it's better sarah for me to let you finish around your thought around ci because ci kind of takes in that whole pathway right mm -hmm. yeah yeah so with, with the CI, they have many options to reduce the CI of their fuel. Um, so they've been given three compliance categories or just pathways, options to, to reduce that fuel. So this can include reducing the, the CI through the life cycle of the fossil fuel through different um, GHG emissions reduction projects when it comes to, you know, like the refining and producing of that um, fuel. The, the second option or compliance category is through the supply of low CI fuels. So they can, you know, purchase credits that represent the, those low CI fuels like RNG and hydrogen. And then the third one is end use fuel switching and transportation. So credits can be created and purchased by, well, created and then purchased by the primary suppliers for using um, low carbon fuels in transportation. So switching from, you know, displacing diesel and gasoline in transportation. So that's how those obligated parties or primary suppliers can meet the compliance and reduce the CI of the uh, liquid fossil fuels. Okay. And so they're, they're, they're reducing the, the carbon intensity of the fuel from kind of pulling it out of the ground to, to ultimate ultimately being burned, they have to lower that. Is there kind of a, a target of, is it like a staged target or how does that work? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So 
they have a, a great little table in the regulations, but it um, there has to be a reduction each year and it gets greater out until 2030. So starting in 2023, they have to reduce it by um, 3.5 grams of CO2 per, per megajoule. Um, and then that, that gap gets larger every year. So they have to get create deeper uh, CO2 reductions every year for those fossil fuels. And and is the CI score like is every organization has a CI for all the fuel they deliver in a given year or does all the fuel that they deliver have to be, you know, a certain CI? Like how does that work in terms of calculating the CI and therefore uh, the reductions? Is it done? You know, the whole all the fuel you provide divided by, you know, whatever to get a number or is it you have to have all of your fuel at that CI score? Maybe I don't understand how it works and I've asked the wrong question. Yeah, so I guess I'm just trying to think of how I can, you know, explain that in a really like simple way. But so they have the, the fuel that is required to have a lower CI value and that would be in a whole energy, you know, value like me megajoule. So, you know, it's not like, you know, this liter of fuel needs to be, you know, the, this low CI. So the whole energy value of the fuel that is included under this regulation needs to be reduced by a certain CI. Um, and if they buy credits, you know, a credit represents one ton of CO2 reduction. So they can purchase those credits towards that whole energy value of fuel to reduce the CI to meet the CI targets. Got it. If, if that yep. makes, that that makes sense. sense, yeah. Um, Vincent, Sarah mentioned three kind of categories, uh, you know, lowering the CI in the value chain, which to me means I would call that energy management uh, or, or carbon management, I guess, really. Um, and then you have what I wrote down was uh, the second one was low CI fuels and the third was fuel switching. What, what's the, what do you see as the difference between those two? Because to me, I, I don't I'm not understanding the difference between lower CI fuels and fuel switching. Yeah. So from the perspective of a company, a fuel, a gasoline or diesel supplier, um, you as long as you keep selling gasoline and diesel, that's just conventional. You, you keep generating deficits depending on what's the target of the year of the clean fuel regulations, which reaches by 2030, an equivalent uh, carbon intensity reduction of 15%. Um, and so as a fuel supplier, your options are, uh, you could start blending in some biofuels, for example, bioethanol uh, in your uh, gasoline so that uh, you reach the right carbon intensity uh, that encompasses the fuel that you sell, or you start buying credits from those other projects that reduce emissions somewhere else in the transportation uh, sector. So to come back to your question, um, low carbon fuels would be any sort of um, liquid fuels that can be used in a already uh, existing international in, internal uh, co combustion engine ice 
inter internal combustion engine. And so, yeah, those are could be uh, biofuels. Uh, I guess those are the most common. Uh, you could think of electrofuels in the future as well, synthetic fuels. While fuel switching requires different types of vehicles, you can think of electric battery electric vehicles, fuel cell uh, electric vehicles as well. Um, or uh, compressed natural gas vehicles or liquefied natural gas vehicles running on renewable natural gas. Okay, so the difference, so so the three kind of areas were, um, you know, the life cycle reduction of CI, and then the other two are either you're switching uh, liquid molecules that are high CI for lower CI liquid molecules, or or the third one um, is is different fuels that are not maybe liquid-based uh, but are, are low CI. Is that the kind of difference between those two? Yeah, uh, or you could think of a different technology of vehicles uh, right. rather okay. than internal combustion engine. Got it, got it. Or okay. like, yeah, gasoline or diesel. Yeah. And what's the last question on the CFR before we go um, to uh, to biogas specifically, Vincent? What is the is there a timeline like so so Sarah mentioned that you know it was published in July kind of leak, leaked out from what I remember and then was formally published uh, what's the timeline is it all live now and people are scrambling saying you know how am I going to meet this is there a rollout timeline what does that look like mm-hmm so indeed it was released this summer uh, but the obligation the the sort of common intensity reductions uh, start to be required um in july next year 2023 okay. um so in the meantime that means that the system the clean fuel regulation system is in place so that uh, parties can start to uh, generate credits sign the deals so that you can um uh, you have that option in the clean fuel regulations to uh generate and or buy credits in a given year uh, for for example, this year and then use them next year. So that it's uh, it was a policy decision made by Environment and Climate Change Canada at the time. And so then, starting July 2023, every year there'll be incremental reductions, as Sarah uh, outlined earlier. And and what is the what is the compliance year? Uh, is it is it a typical government year, April 1st to March 31st, and then you have to report by July? Or the July date seems odd to me in the calendar of either a normal ca calendar or a government calendar. Yeah, there are all sorts of uh, reporting deadlines uh, that vary. It's different months of the year. And then later on, there'll be verification uh, uh, systems where uh, there'll be third-party companies uh, to make sure that your emissions reductions are actually verified and, and real. Um, so uh, my understanding is that the compliance uh, calendar in terms of like new targets applied every year starts in July of the year uh, because it's but uh, but otherwise yeah it's a very complex policy with many different deadlines mixed yeah. Yeah, if I could chime in on the compliance period. So I had said, oh, you know, the compliance period is calendar year, January 1st to December 31st, but we were corrected on that. And it does sound very complicated. So the um, so the first compliance period is from when they were registered in July to December 31st, 2022. Then there's a compliance period from January 1st, 2023 to June 30th, 2023. 
Then from July 1st, 2023 to December 31st, 2023. And then after that, it's every calendar year. So okay. we kind of got like a few six months and then it's every calendar year. Okay. And bef- one, one more question before we go to biogas and RNG. What, what has been from either of your vantage point to the extent that you've heard this, what, how has this been received by the, uh, the fossil-based fuel community? Um, I mean, you can, I have friends out West who I'm friends with on Facebook and I can, I can glean from that data, but I realize that's a biased viewpoint on how they're receiving it. What's your sense in terms of how the market is receiving this as a new regulation for clean fuels? I think um, anytime you add uh, well-designed policies like carbon pricing, other clean fuel standard, you generate uh, some controversy. But in the case of, in particular, the larger oil and gas players, um, those parties um, are often found to be supportive of such policies because it adds um, it it eventually puts a price tag on uh, that broad sustainability um, trend that uh, can be like loose and doesn't have like a, a solid monetary value on it. So that's why in the past we've seen oil and gas companies supporting coming forward in support of a carbon tax because. Um, it then levels the playing field and everybody uh, plays by the same rule and can and then at that point the companies that made that are making efforts to reduce their emissions uh, are not uh, disadvantaged against other companies that are making fewer efforts and that make make more money in the same uh, by the way by with the markets that are not set properly so uh, for the clean fuel standard in particular, uh, clean fuel regulations, I don't have the exact picture. I know that at the beginning of the program, uh, there was a lot of opposition from oil and gas companies, and it may be one of the reasons why the scope of the program reduced. But since then, times have changed, and you now have, like for example, the oil sands companies teaming up to pledge net zero by 2050. So, um, so I think. I I personally think that it's a policy that's here to stay regardless of uh, changes in um, uh, governments, for example, Mm. because that's an issue that people could think about, especially these days looking at political news. But the longer a system is in place, um, the longer uh, companies make investments in, in, in within the framework of those systems and then don't want uh, those uh, markets to be changed dramatically, uh, like pulled back, because otherwise it's, uh, it makes all those past investments uh, unviable. So, yeah. Cool. So let's let's jump in and, and Sarah, I'll let you uh, chime in first. Um, what what does this you know mean for biogas and RNG? How does it maybe start with how does it fit into the regulation? Does it fit in? Uh, I know we were hoping for a broader scope. It's been refined. I think there's maybe some you know the doors slightly cracked open. Maybe what's what's your sense on where and how it fits in? 
Yeah, exactly. So there was there was a lot of excitement about this regulation when gaseous fuels were part of the scope. And then obviously it was very discouraging when it was narrowed to exclude them. But there is still um, opportunity for biogas and RNG to create credits under the CFR. So when we talked about those three ways that um, compliance can be met by the primary suppliers, uh, two of those, compliance category two and compliance category three, have pathways for biogas and RNG to generate credits. So without getting, I guess, too much too much detail for a podcast, but um, in compliance category two, biogas and RNG can generate gaseous credits. And I'll just say about this, that there's a limit to how many gaseous credits a primary supplier can purchase to meet oh. compliance. So that's a little, that's a little bit, you know, frustrating. It's a 10% uh, limit. So it seems like there's a bit of a ceiling on the opportunity for biogas and RNG under that pathway. And it's ten percent of under, sorry, sorry to cut you off. Oh, it's ten percent of yes. of what you said. The the cap is ten percent of of the oh, credits that they would buy, or yeah, that the primary supplier could buy to meet their compliance. Yeah, yeah, and and throughout the regulation, there are little limits like that, like um, you know, they can only meet compliance using ten percent of the generic quantification methodology, which I, which I won't get into. But there are little you know rules like that in the regulation, um, and then. But so the compliance category three, which is for end use fuel switching and transportation, all credits generated under that are liquid credits and biogas and RNG can generate liquid credits under that compliance, which doesn't have that 10% limit. Mm. So there, there is an option there for them. Um, and the credits would be shared between the um, RNG producer and the owner operator of the fueling station. So that's a, that's a bit of, um, of a detail there. Um, and another thing, um, which maybe if, if you wanted to talk about biogas and hydrogen later, is there might be some opportunities under compliance category one for RNG to generate credits as well, but that is in development right now. So there's definitely opportunity, not as much as we were hoping, uh, but there is there is definitely a pathway there. I think the uh, Apple uh, podcast app, the algorithm behind it is probably indexed towards hydrogen. So if we get hydrogen in a couple of times, it'll help us uh, show well on the podcast. So. Uh, okay, so we got we got kind of two streams, maybe a third where we can participate. Now, uh, category two is on the gaseous side. There's, a, there's an unfortunate cap, uh, and then stream three, no cap, uh, a split of the credits. Um, Vincent, what about from your perspective? Are you seeing you know a similar way and any other kind of opportunities? Uh, how do you see this yeah. interacting with biogas? Yeah, to um I guess uh, to in other terms, the that compliance category two credits, uh, those are RNG injection in the gas grid. So regardless okay. of where that RNG is going to be used, that's one opportunity that's offered in this uh, clean fuel standard, which is uh, quite innovative, I'd say, compared to other um, uh, systems in North America. Because um, to go back a little, the um, the model for Canada to for their clean fuel standard is um, the uh, California low carbon fuel standard and the British Columbia low carbon fuel standard, which both programs are very successful in achieving um, very like 
uh, significant emissions reductions in uh, the transportation sector and um, uh, triggering those investments in alternative fuel um, infrastructure and technologies um, on the and then the compliance uh, category three is at the point of the refueling station so let's say a compressed natural gas a station that uh, that supplies RNG uh, or an LNG uh, station that supplies LNG to a, a renewable liquefied natural gas to a truck or a municipal bus. Uh, so those are. Um, the big opportunities. So I guess, yeah, the the Canadian program um, is modeled after existing jurisdictions, but uh, the opportunity to generate credits for orange injection in the grid and potential RNG use at uh, fuel manufacturing facilities, as Sarah mentioned, uh, is an innovation from the uh, Canadian uh, end. So is it to, to use perhaps a, a, a crass analogy, is it is it as if the RINs program and the LCFS program had a baby and and you know the the CFR was the like because isn't that how RINs is more like the the you know stream number two where you can inject and and people have to buy the the RINs whereas in LCFS it's more on the fuel switching side or or am I Am I oversimplifying it? Vincent? So the RINs, uh, Renewable Identification Numbers, in the uh, US RFS, the Renewable Fuel Standard, uh, that program is more like a biofuel mandate where you have to, there's a set a volume that you need to achieve in the whole uh, US uh, system. Uh, and there still needs to be uh, a transportation use for that RNG. So. Um, the uh, whereas the the, the Canadian uh, program, the clean fuel standards, allows for some RNG use in other sectors than transportation. But okay. uh, what's the analogy with the renewable fuel standard, though, is that it's it's a nationwide program, and that's right. something that uh, Canada didn't have, and now has like a strong tool to achieve emissions reductions. Got it. So. On that, on that number, let's let's unpack that kind of RNG injection scenario. Um, so, for for people who are potentially developing projects, basically how that works is you have you you have your biogas, you you clean it up to natural gas quality, it's, then you have RNG or biomethane, you inject it into the grid, and you're selling the credits based on the difference between fossil-based natural gas and, and the CI score of, of your gas, and you're selling that to a primary fuel producer? Yeah, so in that's, that's right. In the case of orange injection into the grid, you compare the carbon intensity score of fossil natural gas against uh, renewable natural gas. But then if you use that RNG in a vehicle, what conceptually you're doing is that you're displ you're displacing fossil fuel use that was initially liquid because most trucks, for example, run on diesel. So if you use a renewable natural gas in a vehicle, you're avoiding the use of a diesel truck. Therefore, you compare this common intensity score of your RNG against mm -hmm. the common intensity of regular diesel. Uh, if I'm getting that correct, uh, Sarah. Um, 
Um, well, in the um, regulation, they do have the reference CIs for comparing it. And yeah, I believe you're right. If you're displacing diesel, you would be comparing it to the reference CI of diesel. And is that if you're then displacing a liquid fuel, then is it then is it more of a category three uh, credit or is it still a category two credit? Category three. Yeah. Category three. Okay. All right. So so two things there are important. One is the CI score of the fuel that you're displacing, whether it's category two and you're displacing natural gas or category three and you're displacing a liquid fuel. That's important. And the CI score of your fuel, whether it's landfill or a dairy-based biogas, that's also important. And and you can create quite a spread. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, a big, you know, a big bonus in terms of this regulation for biogas and RNG because we can get such low CI scores with biogas and RNG. And when the fuel LCA model came out, which um, ECCC developed to be able to calculate the carbon intensities of these fuels, we really pushed to make sure that avoided emissions were being included for RNG pathways. And that's where, you know, in the in the states, we're seeing, you know, really negative CI values um, that RNG can get. So right now, the fuel LCA model includes avoided emissions for manure and landfill gas, and they're working on adding pathways for SSO and wastewater treatment. So yeah, it's it's good and it's a, it's a great benefit for RNG that those avoided emissions are recognized. And so that is that's a Sarah, that's a model from ECCC that is 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 that like the I'm familiar with the CARB model for for their for the California program in terms of kind of the the life cycle and the CI score, you know, is that the same that's that's going to become the standard for CFR in terms of biogas and RNG project and, and developing the baseline CI score? Yes, exactly. So it's a model for calculating the LCA, and I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with GREET or GH Genius. Yes, GREET, so thank you. Same yes. type, yeah, same type of idea, and it's all available on the ECCC website. It uses open LCA, so anybody can access it and download the data set. So it's it's very easy to, to get and to use. Awesome. Well, I mean, there's a lot, there's, it's it takes some, training sure. to use but once you get there yeah once you get there i love it i love it great so let's let's talk a little bit about um the the the, the back to the scope or not scope three but uh is, what's what's the right term category three we're talking about these different categories sarah you keep talking about compliance category three. compliance category yeah. three. so compliance category three so describe to me either of you kind of so like I understand compliance category two, you put it in the pipe, uh, but compliance category three, are you either, you know, making it and it's going to a fueling station or you're putting it in a pipe and it's going to a fuel station and it's making its way into a, a vehicle application as as either CNG or LNG or give me a sample project for a compliance category three type uh, project. Yeah, so um the those credits can only be created if um rng is dispensed to a vehicle um one uh, example you could think of is and i guess 
Also, I wanted to do like a, a little refresher on renewable natural gas. So it's essentially converting way, organic waste into uh, methane that looks almost identical as natural gas, uh, like pipeline quality natural gas. The uh, main advantage, as we mentioned earlier, about the reason behind those strong uh, carbon intensity scores for renewable natural gas is that you, by using RNG, you uh, reduce emissions at the end use when you displace uh, currently exist, uh, currently used fossil fuels, but you also reduce emissions in the waste sector by capturing methane that would have otherwise have been emitted straight to the atmosphere. And in the case of agriculture, for example, uh, manure can generate a lot of methane, so capturing that methane and converting into a fuel uh, while minimizing leaks uh, along the system uh, ends up reducing a, dr a very large amount of um, methane uh, emissions at large. So, um, yeah, so back to the uh, case study, let's think of a um, um, Sarah mentioned SSO, a source-separated organics facility. So let's say you're in a in a municipality like Calgary that has a green bin program. You have, which means they gather uh, food waste from households. They bring all that food waste to a facility uh, with a digester. Uh, that digester makes uh, biogas, and there and then after some upgrading, renewable natural gas. The RNG facility owner can then enter, they um, um, inject that RNG in the gas grid. And then at another site, you could think of a refueling station, uh, let's say a compressed natural gas station at the Calgary Transit Depot, for example. And um, Calgary Transit may think, okay, we want to decarbonize our fleet of uh, CNG buses, let we can enter into a contract with that uh, food waste RNG facility to uh, transfer essentially the uh, are the um, environmental attributes, the, the greenness of the RNG to the refueling station. And at that point, the uh, CNG that is dispensed in those Calgary Transit buses can be considered as uh, clean uh, CNG, so renewable uh, compressed natural gas. And uh, at that point, uh, can uh, generate credits that can then be sold in the clean fuel regulations to primary fuel suppliers, so the, the fuel importers, the refiners, that um, generate deficits because they are selling fuel that has a too high of a carbon intensity. Okay, so the fuel, the, fu the refueler can, he, he, he or she can sell it as a commodity, and then they can, you know, so they can sell it for its energy content to whoever wants it, and then they can take the credits that are generated and sell it to a primary fuel supplier. Is that right? Yeah, and uh, I, that's one way of looking into it. And the uh, so there's there are agreements that are signed between uh, the RNG facility owners, the refueling stations. Sometimes all of that is integrated. Um, most often, you would see those uh, um, the site of the RNG injection in the first place 
is very is um, not at the same geographical location as the site of the refueling station for the vehicles. And so uh, in that case, you rely on uh, contracts to link uh, that supply and that use, uh, relying on the uh, very extensive natural gas grid that we have in North America. And that's uh, um, through um, a mechanism that is often referred to as book and claim accounting, which is very similar in the electric sector, where, for example, um, Amazon is a big buyer of renewable electricity from wind and solar. What Amazon does is that they don't just build um, wind turbines on their where on the land where their servers sit. They also sign contracts with. Um, uh, developers that build new facility, new wind turbines and solar farms in uh, different cities, sometimes even different uh, states and provinces, and then uh, get the guarantee that they'll get supplied that uh, uh, that equal amount of electricity that they consume on site. So it's a similar mechanism in the um, natural gas vehicle transportation space. Okay, so Sarah. Uh, to build on that um, explanation from Vincent, how do you see um, you know your members, the the biogas RNG owner operators, and and those involved in the space? How do you see this maturing? Do you see? Because I remember back to you know the feed-in tariff days where everybody had a contract with the government, or um, what we're seeing a little bit more recently is maybe with um, you know one of the big gas companies like Atco or something, but. I'm sensing that this under the CFR, there's going to be maybe more contracts or there's going to be an agreement between the biogas developer and a fuel supplier. And uh, maybe there's going to be a, uh, you know, a, a broker in between. What, how do you see kind of the, the contracting piece moving forward under the new regs? Yeah, so the way that um, the credit transaction works is through the uh, CATS system, the credit and tracking system, which is hosted by the Government of Canada. And there are a few different, so the person that is actually like selling, creating the credits and putting them up to, to trade them are registered creators. Um, and a biogas producer could be a registered creator. But there's also an option for um, someone to be a CI contributor or carbon intensity contributor. And a registered creator would buy the environmental attributes from the carbon intensity contributor. So in speaking, I, I just, you know, just anecdotally speaking with some members who are biogas producers, I've asked them if they're looking at being registered creators and they're not really too sure at this point. They think, you know, maybe they would be a CI contributor and there would be, you know, a, you know, another party that would be, you know, buying the environmental attributes from them and then taking care of all the, you know, all the administration, putting it on cats, the transaction with the primary supplier. So it's, you know, it's remains to be seen yet how a biogas producer would be would be doing this. But there are, you know, a few different pathways. Um, I will say that Right now, um, we've heard that there doesn't seem to be any registration in CATS for biogas and RNG producers. 
Um, but some utilities have been registering either importing RNG or fueling stations supplying RNG. So there is action around that, but we're not seeing those producers directly hopping in, but it's it's still early. And so CATS will be the system that, um, you know, credits that are generated get, you know, the tracking mechanism is through this CATS registry on the buying and selling of, of these credits, is that right? Yes, yes, exactly. The the actual, um, you know, money doesn't exchange sure. on there, but it will have to be reported as part of the transaction. Cool. Uh, and one of the want to be kind of mindful of our time here. This has been a great conversation. One of the things that I had noted was like, where does is there a is there a tie between is there a tie in between RNG and hydrogen? Uh, are they both going to kind of go after this market independently? I'm curious, um, maybe Vincent, we'll start with you. And then Sarah, I'm curious from, from both your perspectives, this is more kind of a, a, an opinion or a thought more than anything, but how do the two either link together or are they going to compete for the same market? What are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. So uh, technically you can generate um, hydrogen uh, from RNG using steam methane reforming, which that process is usually used with uh, conventional natural gas. Instead, you replace uh, in that same um, tech method, you use RNG and you end up with a very with a much lower common intensity score uh, and even lower when you apply common capture and storage in that uh, process. So that's um, technically what you can do and in the California market, for example, there are some contracts that have been signed where um, RNG to hydrogen, two vehicles, uh, such contracts have been signed uh, by uh, companies playing in the California transportation market where fuels, there are more fuel cell vehicles than we can count in Canada now. But I'll let Sarah expand on the other potential opportunity for RNG to hydrogen. Yes, so under um, compliance category one, they are developing uh, quantification methodology methodologies, which are pretty much you know a set of rules that outline how a project can create credits under compliance category one. And one that is under development right now is the draft low CI hydrogen integration quantification methodology. And this would include hydrogen produced from RNG. So as I mentioned before, um, that there might be a pathway under compliance category one for RNG, and that's where we get that tie-in from hydrogen. Um, so and then what, I'd also that, say under... Oh, yeah. What would that look like, Sarah, because it's in category one? Is that is that RNG to hydrogen that they're then using for internal fuel to, to actually make the liquid fuel? They're, they're burning it for whatever process they have internally, is that how that's going to happen? Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. So it would be to a um, fossil fuel facility to Got be it. used in the process. Yeah, Got exactly. Okay. Cool. And um, and then in terms of how they would relate under compliance category two, um, I think there would be a bit of competition for those gaseous credits from between hydrogen and RNG. But the benefit that RNG has over hydrogen is those lower CI values and the ability to generate more credits. So there's a you know a, there's a bit of um, bit a bit going on there, but um, I think that they can both exist in the same space. 
What uh, in a minute, I want to ask both of you to kind of give some advice to to those who are listening in terms of where to go next with this. But is there anything else before we do that 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 we had that I haven't asked or we haven't talked about in terms of the CFR and its applicability, especially for biogas and RNG? Anything we've missed from a high level? Obviously, there's we could go down many rabbit holes. I, I'm aware of that, but from from the highest level, is there anything we've kind of fundamental we've missed? I would just like to mention just a quick little something anecdotally um, is that the the availability of credits and the actual opportunity is something that is a you know a big concern you know or is there going to be an oversupply of credits or an undersupply of credits and in the regulatory analysis they do say that in the next couple of years there will definitely be enough credits um, so it's like it seems like there might be almost an oversupply but then speaking with our members um, who have had contact with the oil refineries those obligated parties really want to lock in the credits. They're saying, okay, we need lots of credits. So it seems like there will definitely be an opportunity. Um, and it's just interesting to hear those two differences that, oh, there's going to be enough, but then the refinery is saying, no, we really need a lot of credits. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. That's great anecdote. Yeah. Vincent, anything else we've been missing? Yeah, uh, we need more clean fuel standards in North America and stronger ones. Um, there's uh, California, Oregon, all are strengthening their existing uh, clean fuel programs. Oregon just on Friday officially approved a stronger uh, clean fuel standard with a 37% uh, carbon intensity reductions target by 2035. Um, and um, and then there are other jurisdictions like the state of New York, which are considering a clean fuel standard in the future. So um, we need a stronger and more. And in Canada, the opportunity uh, to engage is that in five years, there will be a review of the clean fuel regulations. And so um, it, it's reasonable to expect that with a well-functioning program, there's a big opportunity to um, significantly ramp up the uh, stringency of the program and um, catapult the uh, uh, the adoption of clean fuel, clean, clean fuels in Canada. So my advice to listeners would be to uh, engage with uh, associations like ours, like the. Uh, so the Canadian Bike Associations and the Coalition for Renewable Natural Gas, because and all, all and other associations as well. If you're in the electric space, Electric Mobility Canada is a great uh, advocate as well, um, and others to um, coordinate and advocate with a stronger voice together and have a bigger impact. And that five-year review, Vincent, is that potentially the time where um, you know you look at expanding the scope to gaseous and solid fuels as well? Uh, that could be one. Uh, definitely uh, at least increasing the, the stringency, uh, like the carbon intensity reduction targets, and potentially also tweaking the way that credits are generated from uh, such and such technologies. If not expanding the clean fuel regulations to clean fuel stand uh, to to uh, the gaseous stream, uh, at the coalition, and Sarah can touch on that as well. Uh, we um, uh, su support uh, the adoption of a national renewable gas standard, which would be a tool in which the federal government requires uh, all gas used in Canada to have a, a minimum percentage of. Uh, 
of content that's clean, that's very low carbon intensity, for example, RNG. And that's a program, for example, that's already existing in Quebec, where Quebec requires 10% uh, renewable gas by 2030. Wow. Yeah, and I yeah, I just want to second that. Thank you, Vincent, for bringing that up. And we recently did a big modeling study with um, Navius that was released in March 2022 that really showed that the renewable gas standard, um, such as the one you described, is really the key to unlocking the potential of biogas and RNG in Canada and achieving really deep GHG reductions from the sector. And it's something that we at the association and Vincent and I have talked about this as well, are, are really working towards um, to developing in Canada. Awesome. So as we kind of wind down here, listeners are all now excited. They see they see there's a, a market, an opportunity. Uh, what's one thing that they should, you know, we've already got them uh, signed up to both the CBA and the Coalition for RNG at the beginning of the show. So we've taken care of that. Um, they're going to help you, you know, advocate and, and build the market. Uh, but in terms of their own projects, what's one thing that they should be thinking about now or somebody they should be reaching out to? Or conversely, what's one thing they shouldn't be doing, you know, that because it might kind of limit their ability to uh, participate in the clean fuel regs? Do either of you have a suggestion of what's one thing they should or shouldn't be doing? Well, I have a very simple suggestion in terms of what they should be doing. ECCC has been extremely receptive in providing answers to any questions. They have many um, training sessions that have been done, and they're actually in October. They're going to be doing more training sessions on the Fuel LCA. So um, they have a they have a dedicated email address that you can contact with any questions about the CFR. So um, definitely their go-to for any questions. Um, you know, our association and the RNG Coalition also are good resources too, but I found that ECCC has been really, really um, good with answering questions. Cool. In the same uh, line of thought, I'd say just, yeah, get help with uh, experts who really know the system and can help you um, model what uh, additional revenues you can get from the clean fuel regulations and then help you decide as an RNG facility do you want to engage more in the gas utility space or more in the transportation space? Um, so getting help through the networks of both our uh, associations um, uh, will help uh, save you time and money. Yeah, I love how you put that because, it, you know, as, a, as an industry, we now have options, right? I mean, not, every option might not be available to everybody, but if you think about where we've come from as an industry now to be able to play in you know many are still playing in the electricity market of course but also in the natural gas utility space and now the transportation space um you know and and, and we haven't even really talked about you know the back end for for particularly for organic uh you know matter and, and anaerobic digestion facilities on the back end like that's another market so as you build a project uh, and that has always been our challenge in biogas is we all knew the story and we all knew the benefits but they were complicated and they were hard for people to get their head around we knew there was many benefits there but to get you know everybody's heads around it and then everybody's supportive of it uh, and build a business case that you could go finance a project on was very very tough you know 10 15 years ago i'm not saying it's a walk in the park now but certainly there are more and more markets uh, and more and more options so um vincent sarah this has been really really fun uh, really educational for me and so i hope for our listeners 
so I thank you both for, for being so generous with your time and your knowledge. Uh, what is the best way for our listeners to, uh, to reach out to you guys? Um, you know, if they want to learn more about your organizations, about the uh, CFR, uh, how best to connect with both of you? So um, I would say for the Biogas Association, you can visit our website at biogasassociation.ca and we have um, contact information on there and also a lot of info about our upcoming events. We have a Carbon Markets 101 webinar series in January, which will really help to untangle all the different options that we have now for, for biogas and RNG. Um, we also have some great free resources on there as well. Yeah, and um, uh, you can uh, follow on social media on all social media platforms uh, the Coalition for Renewable Natural Gas. Uh, also, check out their website rngcoalition.com. And uh, yeah, as uh, uh, we mentioned earlier, our next conference is in uh, mid-December in Dana Point, uh, California. Uh, it's called RNG Conference, and uh, we're looking forward to a very interesting event with uh, lots of great conversations. Awesome. Well, thank you both. I've, I've had the pleasure of having both um, the leaders of your respective organizations on the podcast, both Jen and Johannes. And, uh, don't tell them, but this was way better than either of those podcasts. Um, so, you know, really, really appreciate both of you and your experience, your expertise. Clearly, you're tied into what's happening here, not only in Canada, but but elsewhere as well. Uh, and so to our listeners, uh, you know, I joked about it, but I'm very serious. You know, go get signed up with these organizations. They bring great value. Uh, there's so much more they can bring to your projects. Uh, go check them out on their websites, sign up, uh, join their events and uh, their conferences. And um, until we are together again, remember you're not alone in this energy transition journey. We're trying to bring stories and opportunities to, to help you navigate uh, to a future uh, that is cleaner and brighter for all of us. Thank you. <laughs>